I know that everyone is different and learns in different ways. I often get to this point in the service and I'm like, I'm done. Like the worship music has been so like impactful to me that I'm just like, that was it. So if anything that I, if, if you're at that point now, that's fine. <laughs> just reflect on the words of that song and you've got the point for today, right? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That really is the heart of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So you just dwell on that. If that's what you find yourself singing today, you've got it. Um, Well, Katie mentioned uh, during the call to worship that we are in the midst of walking through the book of Ephesians together. We started it last week. We're going to be going slowly um, a few verses at a time. And so this morning we are in uh, another chunk out of chapter 1. And as Mark said last week, um, the book of Ephesians uh, is a lovely book that uh, is very simply divided into kind of two chunks. The first three chapters, the second three chapters really look at our identity, who we are in Christ, and then our mission. Um, How does that play itself out in our lives, the fact that we are in Christ? So we're going to dive into that a little bit more this morning, but let me pray as we head into that. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear from you this morning. We come from a fast-paced world where we have to-do lists and phones buzzing at us, telling us to do things. And it can be hard to kind of be present here in this place. And so, Lord, I ask that you would um, bless us with the ability to focus this morning for just this little bit of time to be present with these words from the Apostle Paul to us. Open our hearts to be changed by the truths that we encounter here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think a lot of you have traveled, and a lot of you have traveled internationally, and so you've probably had similar experiences to this one. But I had the chance in college to go to Kenya on a couple of occasions, two different summers, and I was consistently blown away as I would meet people for the first time. Now, coming from America, coming from Seattle, and going to Nairobi, Kenya, and going to Kibera, which is the biggest slum in sub-Saharan Africa, kind of on the outskirts of Nairobi, um, I had a lot of notions in my head about these people simply by the environment in which I met them, right? I walked into the slum, which is red dirt everywhere, homes made out of mud, caked over whatever they could find, often garbage. Uh, As we walked, there were smells that made me want to cover my mouth and my nose. There were kind of trenches that had been dug into the red dirt pathway that urine and who knows what else was flowing down because there was no plumbing. And I would walk into these mud huts covered with tin, and the people who would introduce themselves to me, that would greet me, were full of such joy, that it just blew me away. Consistently, the greeting that I would receive would be, hello, I am Beatrice, I'm a born-again Christian, praise the Lord. That same mantra, I'm a born-again Christian, praise the Lord. And it was not something that they had rehearsed because I was walking in the door as a missionary from the States. This was bubbling out of them. This was deep in the core of their being. 
And I was consistently just blown away, blown away. What is it that gave them that joy? Where does that come from? How can you and I have that? Well, I believe that that is available for us. And I believe that we can find the root of it here in these verses that we're going to be looking at today. Now, this book of Ephesians is one of a number of different letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches um, he had planted around the Mediterranean. And Paul was much like the Billy Graham of the New Testament. He was an evangelist. And um, by the time he writes Ephesians, he's gone on three different missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. He's planted churches all over the place. But when he writes this letter, it's getting towards the end of his ministry. Paul is in prison, potentially for the last time. He doesn't know it, but he's going to be executed not too far after he writes this letter. So he's sitting in a prison in Rome in a cell that quite possibly is at the bottom of a giant water cistern. So no windows. Imagine a situation similar to what I just described in Kenya. Wet straw for a bed, bed bugs, bad smells. This guy has led an amazing life. He is an amazing human being. But at this point in his life, he would have reason to wonder if God has forgotten him as he sits in prison in these horrible conditions. And yet, as Paul begins to write this letter, what we hear is not despair. Paul is overwhelmed with gratitude, with gratitude, so much gratitude that it is gushing out of him. Mark said that that much of this first chapter is one long run-on sentence. He just can't get it out fast enough. He is overwhelmed with gratitude, despite the situation that he finds himself in. So we're going to pick up um, right after the section that we looked at last week with Mark, pick up in chapter 1. Verse 11, he says, in him, in Christ Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, speaking to the Gentiles in Ephesus, you also were included in Christ when you were heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We're just going to walk through this. I'm going to highlight a couple kind of key phrases that stand out to me. So to begin with, we're going to look at the fact that Paul describes himself in us as chosen. As chosen. And this really is the source of all Paul's gratitude. The fact that he is chosen. So we have to remember that Paul was not always the apostle Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. And his entire adult life, his entire ministry, up until the point of his conversion, when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and is knocked off his donkey, blinded, up until that point, his life had been devoted to upholding the letter of the law. And over time, that 
mission had led him to persecute Jews, converts to Christianity, to the point where he, he had overseen the stoning death of Stephen, a martyr, one of the early evangelists of the church. So Paul had done things in his life that as a Christian he was ashamed of, things that he could never undo. And so for Paul to be told that he has been chosen, and not because of anything that he's done, he's very aware of all of the things that he has done that should preclude him from being chosen. And yet he is. And this news makes Paul want to celebrate, even in the midst of sitting in jail. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I was made aware how often my gratitude is conditioned gratitude, right? As I was reflecting this week, I just, I was having a hard time focusing. My laptop died, of course. And so I was at home trying to work with all of my kids at home and I just had to get out. So I went on a lovely walk. We have Landover Woods right up by our house, which is this great forested park that then drops down into this neighborhood, which is like all homes way above what I will ever be able to afford. And so I just kind of walked down through Landover and then back up through this neighborhood. And, and I was reflecting on these words. And, and I just, it was, it was lovely. The birds were chirping. The sun was shining. The breeze was beginning to get a little bit warm. I heard a babbling brook. I was praying for all of you. And I found myself just gratitude, just welling up. And then I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> Of course I'm feeling grateful because this is a pretty lovely moment. How often do I feel that gratitude bubbling up, though, when situations aren't ideal? What would it take to be that grateful regardless of my circumstances? Well, Paul, the believers I met in Kenya, have something richer than I often experience. Because their gratitude is unaffected by their physical circumstances. Their joy is constant, regardless of what they have or don't have. And there is something there that I want. I want that. And I think the key for us is the lens that we choose to view life through. For Paul, This good news that he is chosen becomes for him the lens that he views everything else through. Every situation. If you read the book of Acts, it is like the most amazing drama, action story of Paul's ministry. He is shipwrecked. He is hungry. He is sick. He is imprisoned. And yet through all of that, because Paul is viewing it through the lens of his having been chosen. Joy wells up for him in the midst of all of those places. And so as I reflect on the reality of how much I am swayed by my circumstances, how much my inner well-being is blown about by the headlines that I read in the morning, by my circumstances on every, any given day, maybe it'll be helpful for me to reflect on what is more true than those circumstances, those headlines. And in those moments, to do some frank evaluation of what lens I am choosing to view life through. 
Am I choosing to view everything through the headlines? Or the fact that I'm struggling, that life is hard right now? Or do I choose to view everything first through the fact that I am loved by God? That I am chosen by the creator of the universe? That was where my gratitude was coming on the day as I was walking through Landover Woods was recognizing that the God who made that babbling brook, the God who put those birds in the tree, who put, made the sky blue, that that God who's capable of doing all those things loves me. I was grateful in that moment because of that. For Paul, the fact that he is chosen blows his mind. That one who worked so hard against the church has now become the father of the church. This was grace upon grace to him. I wonder how often we are blown away by that reality. That we are chosen by God. I think it's an important thing for us to come back to. To reflect on. Well, also, in the same verse where Paul speaks about himself and us as chosen, he goes on to say this. He says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything according to his will. Predestined. Calvinists throughout the ages have focused in on this idea of predestination. The Christian Reformed Church is is a Calvinist tradition, And so some of you who grew up in the Christian Reformed Church maybe are here um, despite the fact that it's CRC because you really wrestled with this idea of tulip. That, That some are predestined for salvation, which then means that some are predestined for eternal damnation. We have we've obsessed about that throughout the history of the church and ultimately have turned a lot of folks away from the church and away from God because they can't get their mind around a God who would pluck some from the fiery furnace and allow others to burn. This is something that we talked about in our new members class last week. And it's unfortunate that predestination has been talked about in such a way that it is such a turnoff for folks often because I don't believe that that's what Calvin intended. And that is definitely not the focus for Paul. If we read the context that he talks about being predestined in, it's almost always a grace, the blessing that he is highlighting. Scripture does speak of judgment, of a hell that awaits some who don't say yes to Jesus. But when Paul speaks of predestination, it's always in reference to the fact that we are chosen. We are predestined before time began to be chosen by God, to be his child. Mark last night came in and was like, hey, Summer, someone posted something on Facebook that you should look at. It was a Karl Barth quote that fit perfectly with this. And so I just wanted to read a few verses from a theologian who's way more eloquent than myself. It'll be on the screen here. The message of God's election means always the message of the yes, the yes determined and pronounced by God. In it, God says yes to the creature and not no. What he says, he says is the one who loves in freedom. Against our no, he places his own 
nevertheless. I love that. He is free in the very fact that the creature's opposition to his love cannot be any obstacle to him. He is free and his hand is almighty in the fact that he can rescue the creature from the destruction into which it has plunged itself by its opposition. So it's important to to recognize here that Paul is completely honed in on the miracle, the gift, the grace of being chosen, forgiven, adopted, made heirs to all of God's promises in spite of everything that we have done or not done. The fact that we are predestined is a gift. That is what Paul focuses on. My dad was in the Air Force when I was growing up, my whole growing up. But he spent a season deployed um, to Saudi Arabia during Desert Storm. And while he was there, um, this was pre-Facebook. This was, this was pre-email. So really, like, we had letters, which took weeks to get back and forth. Uh, and I discovered something about my dad during that season that he was deployed, and that was that he is a gift giver. He began sending boxes back to our family full of things that he was finding in the markets in Saudi Arabia. Lots of beautiful perfume bottles. I think I've mentioned this before. My mother is very allergic to perfume. Lots of really lovely, expensive oils, like like the strongest perfumes that you can find and like amazing bottles to put them in. Um, Ultimately, he ended up sending back huge wooden chests for us that you can see if you come to our house to the point where my mom had to be like, Bob, we don't have any place else to put this stuff and the girls cannot wear this perfume. But those gifts were my dad expressing for us from afar in the way that he was able to in that moment, his love for us. His lavish love for us. Well, that is the picture that we have here in Ephesians chapter 1 of God and his love for us. That he is a God, a heavenly father, who delights in lavishing, in lavishing us with good, good gifts. Giving us more than we know what to do with. And the gifts that he describes here are gifts of grace. Gifts of redemption, of forgiveness for our sins. We are invited into his heavenly family. We are chosen as his sons and daughters. So the fact that God chooses us says way more about who God is than it says about who we are. But when we choose to focus on the flip side of our chosenness, the fact that others are not chosen, we lose sight of the amazing loving character of God. A God that would choose us, even me. That's amazing. But this is all that Paul can see, is the amazingness of his having been chosen. And that is the reason that Paul is shouting for joy. Mark and I went to a conference um, a month or so ago called Refresh. It's for foster and adoptive families. And as we were there, um, a lot of the conference was just folks sharing stories and and a lot of the stories that we heard were of families that had have devoted themselves wholeheartedly to fostering. Uh, We had a, they had a thing at the end where everyone that came in took um, a glow stick for every child that they had cared for um, 
either foster or adoptive. And there were people that had, you know, Mark and I had two. There were kids or families that had like bushels. They were taking like handfuls of these things. Some of them had committed to fostering and even adopting folk, uh, child after child after child with extreme special needs. And I just was blown away thinking about the sort of love that would motivate these parents to commit themselves to these kids. It's, parents, parenting is hard, amen? <laughs> it is hard, even when your children are like the most angelic children on the face of the planet. And the fact that some of these people had taken in 80 children, 80 children, some of them, blew me away. Imagine the challenges that those families must endure and the kind of love that they have to have to be able to love day after day. Well, the Apostle Paul is singing of a similar love in this opening chapter of Ephesians, of a father's love for his children. Only in this story, we are the challenging high-needs children. And God has opened his arms to us, and he says, come. He has chosen us. Randy often says that God has big arms. I think Randy says that. I'm going to ascribe that to Randy. And that's what we see here. And that's what Paul is singing about. Is that his, his embrace is wide enough for all of us. Now, we would not do this passage justice if we did not recognize the fact that in the course of 11 verses, Paul says, in him, in Christ, 11 times. All right? Everything that we are talking about this morning, that we are chosen, that we are predestined, that we are adopted, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, all of this holds together and finds its reality in Jesus Christ. When we take Jesus out of the equation, the equation falls apart. All right? Christ is central to this reality. Jesus is the life force behind creation. He is the sustainer of creation. He is the redeeming force that is restoring everything that is broken. And so in short, the gratitude that we're experiencing, whether we recognize it or not, is gratitude for Christ and for all that he has done and is doing and will continue to do. And so it is paramount that as we experience this gratitude, we focus it on the person of Jesus as the source of all of this. Paul was deeply concerned in this letter to the church in Ephesus that his readers understand all that God had given them in Jesus so that they could then also understand the kind of life that God wanted them to live in response. He was concerned with a lack of awareness that God's people are intended to live in a distinct way as a result of the fact that they have been chosen, that they are in Christ. And he spends the last three chapters of the book diving into some specifics on that. But even here in the opening chapter, we are urged to be people of gratitude, to be people of hope because of all that we have been given and all that we find in Jesus. And so we have to ask the question, how are we doing at being grateful people? 
Would people around you describe you as a hopeful person? Now, if I'm honest and reflect back over a day or a week, there are many moments when I would have to say no. (laughs) I do not feel like I am living as an overly hopeful person. I'm pretty skeptical. I want to say a lot of bad words when I read the paper many mornings. And so if that is you, if you don't find yourself exhibiting these attributes of gratitude, of hope, then there is an invitation for you this morning to reorient yourself. That is part of why we come here together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, partly why we have community groups midweek, because it is hard to stay focused on the right thing, to make the main thing the main thing in the midst of this world. Mark challenged us last week, and this stuck with me, Mark, just the the acknowledgement that the first thing that he does often in the morning is he flips on the phone and he checks the news. Well, I have virtually everything shut off on my phone, so I receive no notifications except the headlines. And so when I turn on my phone in the morning, that's what I see, Washington Post. And I have to be honest that I check it in the morning because I'm afraid of what happened the night before. And I want to see if there's anything huge that I missed. Well, that's a pretty horrid place to start the day. Wouldn't it be better... (laughs) if the only notification I allowed to come to the front of my phone was a scripture that reminds me that I'm chosen, that God loves me. That's not what I have coming to the front of my phone. We all know things that we could do. So I just want to give us a moment to reflect on what could I do this week, today, to help me be able to reorient more frequently so that it's not just a twice a week reset, but maybe a daily reset. I want to suggest that starting the day with scripture might be something to consider. That's hard for me. Mark gets up and gets all the kids out the door and I'm still in bed (laughs) and I'm there as long as I can possibly be because bed is so nice. Scripture would be a great place to start the day. Two other practices I'll just suggest. One is the practice of gratitude. You can do this around the table at mealtimes. You can do this as you're brushing your teeth or in the shower. Simply taking a moment to reflect on what am I grateful for today. And simply saying thank you to Jesus, who is the source of all those good gifts. What am I grateful for today? Another one that you could do at the end of the day is evidence of grace. Reflect back over your day. Can you find one place where you experienced God's grace? The first time this question was asked to me, I, was, I had not been thinking along those lines at all that day. And so I had to really stop and think. And the thing that came to me, I was in a car crash a long time ago now. And so every day I experienced some sort of neck or back issues as a result of it. But on this particular morning when I woke up, the sun was shining in my window, which never happens, direct sun rays in my window, and my body felt good. And I noticed it when I woke up because it was that unusual to have that moment of just like sunlight, body feeling good. It's like that was God's grace for me today. And I was so glad that I was asked and I could identify that and say thank you to God for that moment rather than just letting it fly by. 
there are a lot of tools out there, friends. And I just wanted to let you know that if you go to Sanctuary's website, we have a, there's a, a link that says the other six days. And if you go to it, there is now a tab that says going deeper. And if you click on that tab, it will come up with a list of very simple things that you could try at home. These suggestions are there. There's also one-page things where you could go through the practice of examine, which just helps you reflect back over your day. If you like to hear it, there's a link to an audio version of a daily prayer of examine. It takes intentionality, folks, to reorient ourselves, to keep ourselves focused on the fact that we are chosen, that we are beloved by Christ. And if we're not intentional about it, the headlines, our daily circumstances are going to be the things that shape our perspective. And I want to swear right now, that is a crappy way to live our life. So receive the invitation this morning. If you are one of those people swayed by events to do something this week, to change that, to root yourself in the truth that you are beloved by God, first and foremost. We're going to come to the table now. And as we do, I'm going to take a moment to pray. Katie is going to be the elder assisting this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we are chosen by you. What does that even mean? Lord, I pray that you would wake us up to the reality of that this week, that our hearts would begin to be overwhelmed by the fact that we are loved by you. This table is a reminder of that, Lord. And so we thank you that as we come on Sunday mornings, we see the bread and the cup and we are reminded that that you loved us so much that you sent your son. That you broke yourself on our behalf so that we could be whole. So that we could be with you. Thank you, Lord, for the lavish love that you shower upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.